It's certainly good to see everybody this morning who has made it with us. We're thankful for all your presence, and if you're a visitor, we welcome you. We thankful, we're thankful that you're here, and if there's any questions you may have after service, please see uh, one of us, and we'll do the best we can to help you out with whatever is needed. Today we're going to be studying in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'd ask everybody to please turn there. Grab a Bible in front of you or underneath your seat, or if you don't have one, your neighbor may have one you can look upon, or your iPad or iPhone, whatever it may be. But we're going to read the Word of God together. I'm not going to be putting it up here on the screen intentionally, because I think it's important that we read from the good book. And as you turn there, <clears throat> I want us to think about, you know, the chapter that we're going to be studying gives two crystal clear ways that we can live our life. Two opposing ways that we can live. And the choice that we make to, today based on what we're going to read on chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians can determine how we live our life and how it affects ourselves, how it affects our lives, how it affects those that may be around us. And ultimately, it'll affect not just our life here, but eternity. It'll affect how we live beyond death. So as we read... I want us to, uh, if you have your own Bibles, if you want to underline or circle or whatever it may be, but I want us to pick out words that are kind of repetitive, that keep coming up. Not, not single two or three letter words, you know, but, but larger words that have some substance to it. Um, so be aware of those as we kind of read through there. So let's start reading 1 Corinthians chapter 2. and We'll only read through verse 13 there. And it says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence or of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for they had known they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man, what, for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in words which, which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual so, I hope that we noticed the word wisdom in that passage. 
And that's what we're going to be studying on. And I think if I counted correctly, in that, in that span of verses that we read, we see wisdom eight times. And if, just a reminder that this is, uh, uh, Paul is the one who wrote this to the Corinthians. And Paul is the one who actually established uh, the church in, in Corinth. And he's writing back to them. And he tells them, when I came to you, I did not come in these ways, but I came in this way. And after which he talks a lot about wisdom. Then in the second half of the chapter, there's also another word um, that we see over and over again. And that word is spirit. So if we read on in, uh, in verse 4, it says, And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Is this too loud? Okay. And then if we skip down to verse 10, it says, But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God, for what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritual discerned, spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. Thirteen times in this chapter, uh, it talks about spirit, either the spirit of God, or the spirit of a, of a person, or spiritual things. And it's pretty clear that the theme of this section of verses of chapter is um, wisdom from God's spirit. And there's a clear contrast between the wisdom that comes from God's spirit, which is spiritual wisdom, and wisdom that comes from man or woman, which is natural wisdom. So uh, I also want to go back to chapter 1 in 1 Corinthians as well. Starting in verse 17, we'll read through the end of the chapter there. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made no, of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring nothing to the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that we may not, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things which the world and the 
and the things which are despised God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord." That makes a total, if I counted correctly, of 21 times Paul talks about wisdom in the first two chapters. So we've got to understand the point here that God is teaching us about wisdom in His Word. And in chapter 1, focusing to, uh, sp specifically today on chapter 2, there's a clear contrast between foolishness or folly uh, uh, type of wisdom and, and the wisdom that God gives us. And if we combine with this the emphasis on the Spirit in the last half of the chapter, the contrast is between which is that which is natural wisdom and that which is spiritual wisdom. I wanted to make two columns here in our study. I was thinking about writing this out, but that would not have been wise because nobody would have been able to read my handwriting. It's really, really bad. <laughs> but so I put these up here and hopefully we can see we've got two columns here. On the left side, we have the foolish life, which is natural wisdom. And on the right side, we have the wise life, which is spiritual wisdom. And that's the contrast, the choice that every one of us must take. Which way are we going to live? First, the foolish life is marked by natural wisdom or the wisdom of men and women in this world. We want to hear what God says to us uh, in his word, starting with what we've already read in chapter 1, but then we'll continue into chapter 2. Um, what does the foolish life look like? So the foolish life, number one, feeds pride. The foolish life feeds pride. And if we remember in chapter 1, in verse uh, 29, it says, So that no human being might... So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. In verse 31, as it is written, let the one who let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. So clearly there's a right way of boasting and there's a wrong way of boasting. And in some of your Bibles, some Bibles have a little letter or a number down in, in verse 31. You know, if you have a study Bible, those are actually cross-references that we see that we can say, okay, well, this verse is referencing another verse. And this one specifically here is referencing uh, Jeremiah 9, verse 23. And it says here, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let, the, let him who boasts in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness, in the earth, for in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So we see boasting kind of throughout this passage in Jeremiah. You know, let the not mind wise man boast in his wisdom. Let let boast. You know, here's another one. Here's another boast right there. Boasts. We kind of see that through that passage, and um, we're not to boast just in our own wisdom or or even in our riches. It says here. It says, let not the rich man boast in his riches. That's not what we're supposed to be boasting in. Not in ourselves and not in our riches. 
not what we have. We're all prone to, to focus in that area, you know, uh, from, you know, a student who may be consumed by what others may be thinking about him at school or them at school or the man or woman who is consumed on how they are comparing with others at work or maybe on social media, you know, the comparison. Um, they're focused on what they have and how they look and how they dress and what status they may attain. That is the curse of the foolish life, the constant focus on ourselves and what we have or what we want to attain instead of what God, who God is and what he can give to us. This is why Paul says back in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 1, it says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Paul was not trying to impress them with his speech or his wisdom. That's the opposite of what he was trying to do or he could do. Verse, in verse 3 it says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. So secondly, the foolish life, which is natural wisdom, depends on human power. It depends on ourselves. And what Paul is saying here in this chapter is, I'm not good enough to impress you. When I came to you, I, I was weak, I was afraid, I was trembling. And Paul is saying, I don't want to preach in a way that makes you depend on my wisdom. I don't want to speak to you so you're depending on me and who I am. It would be utterly foolishness to bank your life on the wisdom and power of people. You, you know, if, if you, that, That's what Paul was saying to these. In the process of banking on our own wisdom, we will reject the wisdom of God. Thirdly, the characteristic of a foolish life is it rejects truth from God. Natural wisdom rejects truth from God. And this is exactly what Paul is saying here. After he's talking about how the Spirit of God reveals the wisdom of God, uh, we look at um, verse 14 in chapter 2. It says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. He, he rejects them. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. This means that the foolish person is so focused on the wisdom of this world, their pride and their own uh, power that they may feel like they may, have, they may have, that they have no room for the wisdom of God. There's nothing left for God. And, you know, we can say, you know, we'll, we'll never say that, you know, but I think, you know, if we go day to day, and this is something that I can completely improve on, but if we do not read the Word of God daily, we are not gaining spiritual wisdom from God and what he can, he can provide for us. We can be better in that area. You know, when we were younger, we all had a tendency to think we got it all figured out. Every single one of us. Yeah, I don't need, I don't need an advice of an adult or my parents. or You know, we got it all taken care of. We don't need God to tell us what to do. And that tendency, I think, doesn't go away sometimes. You know, we can get older and we can actually convince ourselves that we know better than God and what's best for our lives and reject His truth or maybe even just ignore it. That is foolishness. And it's interesting in verse 14 that uh, says the things of God are folly to Him. And that's not the first time we see the word folly. If we go back to chapter 1, verse 18, Paul wrote, For the word of the cross is folly, to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
And then down in verse 21, for since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. The cross, the message of Christ crucified was folly or foolishness to the Gentiles. The wisdom of the world says, you know, God's wisdom is foolishness. That's natural wisdom. That's that they're, uh, you know, the cross of Christ does, doesn't matter. And that leads to the next uh, point in this column. The foolish life sees Jesus on the cross as foolishness. And that makes sense when we think about it because the cross represented truth from God. And that is a shot basically to human pride and power, isn't it? And if we put ourselves in the shoes of the first century Christians, you know, we see some who are, we see people wearing crosses around their necks or crosses on pictures in their uh, homes. You wouldn't do that in the first century because the cross was a picture of death. It was not something that was socially acceptable to do that. You know, we're, you know, if we put that in our house today, you know, maybe a, a picture of an electric chair or, or an injection table, lethal injection table on our, above our mantle, we're not getting many people coming back to our homes for dinner. It's, it's the, the cross back in the first century was and still is a picture of death. The cross is the most gruesome, torturous, shameful way to kill somebody, and it was reserved for barbarians and slaves. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 23, that the idea of the cross and Christ crucified is a stumbling block to the Jews. And to a Jewish person, anyone who hung on a tree was cursed of God. And the idea of the Messiah, Messiah being crucified was shocking to the Jews. That would never happen in Jewish thought. It was also a folly to the Gentiles. And that word literally means madness. If the, if the Gentiles heard that a Jewish man had died on a piece of wood in a nondescript hill, on a non, in a nondescript part of the world, and his death determined the eternal fate of everyone else in the world, they would think that that would be ridiculous. And if Christ is crucified as a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, I think us as cultural Americans, some can see it as completely absurd. You know, we take the nice, successful, um, well-dressed American with a nice job, a big house, a nice car. Take a free-thinking American woman who thrives on her independence from everything, including God, and you take them both outside to the city dump, okay, where a naked man is hanging on by nails on a tree covered in blood, and you tell that American, your only hope in life is to believe that this man is God and you are entirely dependent on him as your judge, master, lord, and king. And that man or woman would roll their eyes. At most, they would feel sorry for this man in his deranged condition, then they will move on with their lives. It's entirely possible. Or maybe many like uh, some who are professing Christians in America, they will just give some lip service to that man for a little bit. Because it's culturally the acceptable thing to do while they continue to live a life that's focused on themselves. The natural wisdom of this world sees the cross as folly or foolishness. And ultimately, this natural wisdom and foolishness life is doomed to pass away, which 
is the exact language that uh, we see here in the English Standard Version. It says here in verse 6 of chapter 2, Yet among the mature we do not impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. Or some translations say coming to nothing. I think that's what the new King James says. We can have it all. We can have the riches, power, wealth, natural wisdom in this world to a point where you're even a ruler in this world, you know. You're a ruler over a company or you're a ruler over a country. But we can have it all. But at the end of the day, it is doomed to pass away or to come to nothing. We know that one day we are going to die. And it doesn't matter. We all know this. In that moment... It doesn't matter how big our house was. It doesn't matter what the cars we drive. It doesn't matter our social status. It doesn't matter where we're at in life. None of that matters. Because at the end, everything will be left. That is all empty, empty wisdom that we're having in those things. We live in a world that encourages and exalts pride, self-esteem, you know, self-worth is the mantra. We have thousands of words that start with the word self. It's what we're all about. How, what can we do? How can I pull my bootstraps up? I need to work harder for this. I need to put more effort into this. I need, to, I need to look deeper within myself. You know, we want to rely on our human power and reject the truth of God, which is some think is antiquated and offensive. The world sees the cross as folly and as foolishness. And God tells us that these things are all doomed to pass away or come to nothing. But there's another way to live that's characterized by spiritual, supernatural, otherworldly wisdom. Wisdom that comes from God and not ourselves. 1 Corinthians 2 says that it's freely given to all. So what does that look like? What does is, what is the opposite of the foolish life look like? And instead of feeding pride, spiritual wisdom crucifies pride. And I think crucified is the, is the right word. Uh, he's making this contrast in 1 Corinthians. Uh, Paul, by chapter 2, saying, I decided to know nothing among you except one thing, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Really, is that all that Paul wanted to know? Nothing else? Just that? And it's the one thing Paul talked about. And the answer is yes, because that summarizes Living a wise life. The wise life dies to self, position, and status in this world. That's not what we live for anymore. We've died to those things. It's the same thing Paul says in Galatians 2, verse 20, that not just Christ had been crucified, but I have been crucified with Christ. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The wise life is an entirely new life in Christ. The wise life also boasts in one thing, Christ. That's what we boast in. We don't boast in our houses, our nice jobs, our status, our nice success in this world. It's all rubbish. It means nothing. We boast in Jesus. He's our life. Everything revolves around Him. And instead of depending on human power, the wise life Trusts in spiritual power, supernatural power that we receive from God. 
And the way that Paul talks about this, you know, back in verse 3, he said, When I came to you, I was in weakness and fear and much trembling. We might, you know, read and get this picture of Paul sometimes as a uh, amazing preacher. And maybe he was. But also, too, he's telling the Corinthians, I came to you weak and in fear and trembling. I was afraid to do what I was doing. I did not have the strength to do what I was doing. In verse Corinthians 2, uh, uh, chapter 10, verse 10, talks, talks about Paul. It says, his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. So we can get that picture of Paul in our minds as some uh, stout man, but that's not what people who saw him thought. They thought this guy is weak and he can't preach. You know, we think about, if you think about Eutychus, back in Acts uh, 20, verse 9, that guy, Paul preached so long, this guy was so bored that he fell asleep and fell out of a window and died. You know, the, the language that in that, in that verse basically say that he was, Eutychus was lulled to sleep. He was put to sleep by the teaching of Paul. And I think we've all been there. Maybe some of you are there right now. I don't know. But we can, we can be lulled to sleep. You know, that, that guy was the first guy to fall asleep in a sermon that we can read about. And it's, you know, it's, it's amazing. You know, that, that guy falls asleep and he dies. Paul goes down there and brings him back to life. But Paul continues to preach after that. Like somebody dying in his sermon wasn't going to stop Paul from preaching. It was pretty amazing. So I think we can somewhat get grasp that Paul wasn't maybe necessarily, he probably didn't think of himself as the best preacher. And that's the whole point. He said, I don't want to preach in a way that you want to trust in me. Do not trust in my preaching. I want to preach a way that you trust in God's power. I want your faith to not rest in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. I don't know who or, you know, everybody here today feels weak or unqualified in any position that we might have or any role we might take. But if we do, I think we can all feel like we all kind of feel the same way sometimes in our life when we get those positions that we feel completely unqualified. If we feel weak as a parent, a spouse, a student, and our employee, you know, if we, if we don't feel weak in those ways, I would submit maybe we have a pride problem. If you do feel weak, then what we have coming from spiritual wisdom, which is the Word of God, the Bible, is that all who are weak and look to God, He is our strength. There is spiritual power available for us to have faith in. It's a wise way to live. Experiencing the power, strength, wisdom, and the help of God Himself. That is the wise life. Spiritual wisdom also receives truth from God. Receives truth from God. Verse 7 of chapter 2, where Paul says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages of our glory. And when we think about that passage, I want us to focus on two words. God ordained. What the Bible is saying here, that it is God that has spoken this wisdom to us. He has decreed this mess, these messages for us. You know, this is not just... The, the Bible is not just a book of information about God. You know, these are the characteristics of God. This is who He is. This is not just information about God. It's a message from God. 
And that's two totally different things. We could read information about somebody. You know, we can just read them and read it. Okay, this is what this guy's done. This is his resume, okay? But when they come to us and they give us a message, that's a direct message to us. And that's what the Bible is. It's a direct message to us from God. And that'll change the way we look at the book, at the, at the Bible. When we come together on Sundays, we've not come to hear wisdom from me or from any other one who stands up here and gives a word. That would be an utter waste of everybody's time if you're coming to hear a preacher because of a preacher and the words that he says. We're coming because we want to hear from God and God alone out of the book, out of the, out of the Bible. Our job as teachers is to take that word from God and speak it and teach it to you in a way as best we can. So we need not rest our faith in wisdom of people, but on the power of God. So the wise life prioritizes receiving this truth every week when we come together. You know, we do that sometimes Sunday evenings where we just, we just read a few chapters out of the Bible. That's a direct message from God to us. And that is worship at its best. So instead of seeing the cross as folly, we see the wise life additionally. We see the cross as forgiveness. The wise life doesn't look at the cross and walk away thinking that it's absurd. The wise life looks at the cross and falls on our faces in awe, knowing what that means to us. God, in His wisdom, is far greater than ours, and He has made a way for us to be forgiven of our sins by His mercy. We see the cross as beautiful as a way to be forgiven of our sins. And this leads to the last um, point of a wise life. It's not doomed to pass away, but the wise life is destined for eternal glory. And that's the language that's used in verse 7 of chapter 2. Right after we hear about the wisdom of this age and the rulers of this age, we read, doomed to pass away or coming to nothing. Then what does it say? It says, but. It's one of my favorite words in the Bible, but. It's a transition. You know, you guys were this way. This is the, you guys were, didn't have any way to, to be reconciled to God, but. That means God's done something for us. Things have changed. It says there, but, which is the contrast. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom of God ordained before the age of our glory. Before the age for our glory. For our glory. For our glory. In God's wisdom, He has made a way for sinners to be glorified with Him in eternity. And that is great news. Verse 9 says, As it is written, what, I, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. That's a really encouraging verse. The wise life does not live for this world, so we need to set our sights higher. The wise life lives for what God has prepared for those who love Him. So, I ask, what about you? Which way are you going to choose to live? If today was our last day on earth, which way? Are we going to choose the foolish life or the wise life? Are we going to feed our pride or crucify our pride? Are we going to depend on our own power or trust in God's power? Are we going to reject and ignore God's truth or are we going to accept it? 
Ultimately, are you going to see the cross as folly and give Jesus uh, pity and lip service? Or are we going to see the cross as forgiveness and give Jesus our life? And the answer to these questions will determine not just the shape of our lives now here on earth, but it'll shape our lives for eternity. So if you're here and you want to change your life from a foolish life to a wise life, this is the time. It doesn't have to happen just now, but we also always offer an invitation to those who may want to obey the gospel of Christ. And the gospel can do that today. We believe uh, the gospel is this, that we believe that God is real and Jesus has come and has died for our sins so that we might have restoration with God. We then repent of our former way of life. You know, we were living a foolish life. Now we're going to change that. We're, going to, we're not going to depend on our natural wisdom anymore. We're going to go ahead and depend on God's wisdom. Change our way of life. We're going to confess the name of Christ, acknowledging that He is the Son of God, and then be baptized for the remission of, our sin, of your sins, contacting the blood of our Savior, Jesus the Christ. And then and only then, He adds you to His church. That can be fulfilled today. We can assist in that today. We have the baptistry here that can, we can fill up quickly and, and we can make that happen. Also there, if, if there's one here who needs to make a public confession of any sort or just needs the prayers of the congregation, we ask you to please come now as we stand and as we sing. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.